great to be here this morning with everybody. Thank you for Jeff for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning as we open up this new sermon series, the, uh, the Seaside Stories. When he asked me if I would fill in for this, I was delighted because this story is one of my favorites in all of the Bible. The, uh, it is in Exodus. We'll start off in Exodus 13. We're going to be doing the Red Sea Crossing. And uh, I will have most of the scripture up here and uh, behind me on the, on the board here. And the scripture that I copied down is uh, from the New Living Translation. That's just the kind that I'll be using today. It's the kind that I've been using recently. Oftentimes people have asked me, hey, what is the, uh, the best, Bible, best Bible translation to read? And the best answer for that is the kind that you'll pick up and read yourself, whether you're most comfortable with King James or whatever it is. Uh, the kind that you read. The, we can't forget that his word is living and active, and uh, it's powerful stuff. So I guarantee you, if you put your nose to it, God's going to speak to you. In 1903, my grandfather was born. He lived in Cambridge, Ohio. And when I was a young child, I used to go to him and he would just tell me these stories about when he would grow up on the farm in Cambridge. And they were so interesting because it's such different than me growing up in the 70s and the 80s. Just, uh, they still had a horse and stuff that he would help plow the field and different things. It was just so different. It was very interesting stuff. And my grandpa died when, he, when I was in high school. And I knew he was getting closer to death and we, we sat down and I asked him, I said, Grandpa, would you tell me a few more stories about what it was like when you were a child? And he said, stories? Let me tell you something, son. They weren't stories. Those things really did happen. I said, I, I know they happened. I just wanted to hear some more childhood stories. But the reason I bring that up is because, you know, what my grandpa said, it wasn't unbelievable. But the story we're about to learn today do you find that a little bit unbelievable? I mean, did God really separate the waters? How did he do it? This is a tough one sometimes. I know I used to be a skeptic. I wasn't a Christian until I was about 28 years old. The first time I walked into church, I thought, mm, I wonder if they really believe this stuff. Because I didn't. I was a little wondering about these things. It just so happened that the very first day that I walked into church, Ed Bylon was preaching, our old minister, and he came across the, uh, this scripture here. It's one of my favorites. Forever since the world was created, the people have seen the earth, the sky, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. When I read that for the first time, I thought, wow, maybe there's something to this Bible. And if you've ever been in any of my classes that I've taught here at church, you know that I, I love the dandy designs, which is just God's creatures that we can clearly see that there is a designer. And when we're about to come up on a, a really tough story to learn or to, to believe, I wanted to show you something else that is a quite remarkable animal that God created. This is the Arctic tern. 
Maybe some of you are familiar with this bird. This little guy is about the size of a seagull. And he has a pretty amazing journey every year. Every year, this guy goes from, starts off in our summer months, way up here in the Arctic. He lays eggs, they hatch, and then during the fall time, that bird goes all the way from the Arctic to the Antarctic, all the way down there. They have actually put GPS trackers on these birds and some have went as many as 43,000 miles because they go into zigzag motion, back and forth, back and forth, feeding and doing all these things. So the reason I bring this bird up is because this really puzzled uh, evolutionists who, who just think things come by chance. They say, what makes this little bird go all the way from up there, all the way down to the bottom, and back again the next year? What's its purpose? There has to be something there behind there. So they tried to figure out how do they learn it. And they finally one person said, well, they must have learned it from their parents. They just keep following their parents and then they learn the route. So they got smart and they took some eggs from a nest in Alaska. And they brought these eggs all the way down to Madison, Wisconsin. And they incubated them there. And they raised them up in the wild the best that they could. And the birds really adapted well to Wisconsin. Uh, they were able to feed on the fish and all the lakes and streams around there. And then about fall time, something clicked in the bird's mind. And guess what? It went south. And they said, oh, this is going to be really interesting because we know where they would normally go. But they have nobody to follow. Those three birds went exactly down to the same area where its parents are. Just like a beeline. I thought, wow, this is really interesting. Next spring, or the next season for migration, those birds went all the way up to the exact rock where their nest, where the eggs were taken from. How did they do that? They have no idea. So they did some different tests. They actually put little blinders on different birds. So, well, maybe they're seeing landmarks or whatever, because we just can't figure this out. And Birds with blinders, they still flew and went exactly where they're supposed to go. And then one really smart guy said, well, it must be the magnetic force, the North Pole and the South Pole and all this stuff because they, they know how to travel. And we know how to fix their wagon with this. We'll put magnetic scramblers on these little birds. And let's see how they do then. Guess what? They went right down to the same place. It did not phase them one bit. So I say all that to to let you know that there's been a lot of really smart people that have been trying to figure out this bird, what makes this bird do what it does. We cannot figure it out, and these people have degrees behind their name, and the end result, end of the report, after years of research, they said, we really don't know why these birds do this. We can't figure it out. And I say to you, if we can't quite figure out this why a bird travels all the way down and all the way back in its purpose. Well, when we see something like the Red Sea crossing, it's not my responsibility to explain to someone, this is how God split the waters. We know God did it. No one can even fathom why this bird goes from here to there, but it does. And when we come across stories like the Red Sea crossing, yeah, I don't know how he did it, but I know his ways are higher than my ways. 
I can't explain it. So we take comfort in those things like that. Before we get to the story, I will be having some uh, scripture, of course. And what I want you to keep in mind, this story of, of the Exodus is more than a history story. We can look back at it and we can see these events that take place and Dale explained well this morning about the Passover and we're going to be just going right after the Passover into the Exodus. And this is a history lesson, but it's also, we need to have our eyes open to the scriptures. Because you know what? God's word is living and active. And another one of my favorite scriptures, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do right. All scripture Every bit of it. So we go clear back to this Old Testament stuff. There's something in there that God is trying to teach you today. And I've already prayed for everybody that's going to come into this room today. So keep your eyes open, because he's going to be talking to us. So I will set up the scene here where we will start in Exodus 13. First of all, the Israelites have been in slavery for, for years and they've been praying to God for some sort of relief because the Egyptians have been treating them so harshly. Moses was sent to, to help them leave Egypt. And of course, the ten plagues came upon them. And every, every plague, I'm sure the Israelites were thinking, maybe this is the one where they're going to finally let us go. And when they get ready to go, do you think they have an idea which way the promised land is? I'm sure they do. Moses is going to lead them out. Moses was a traveler. He's been around. He knows which direction to the promised land. I can remember when I was, used to go on vacation years ago with my dad. Uh, you know, several days before, he'd have the whole road map laid out on the table. And he'd be you know, explaining to me how to read a road map. And we're going to be going down this road and this way. He'd always pick the shortest route. And I'm sure that's what Moses is doing too. When we get out here, when we finally get, here to the, get out of Egypt, we are going to be going directly to the promised land. I'm going to better open up my Bible so I can read too, because I maybe didn't copy down everything on the board. Exodus 13, 17. This is when... They finally get to leave. It says, Then Pharaoh finally let the people go. God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that way, that way was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, If the people faced with battle, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. What do you think the people were thinking when they, were, when they left? And, and God is leading them in a different direction there. I think we can learn a lesson from this. Because God always knows the best direction for our life. But they, the Israelites, I'm sure that Moses was catching a lot of flack at this point. Why are we going this direction? We know we should be going this direction. But yet, for some reason, God says, 
but you're not ready to face these Philistines yet. You're not ready for that battle. And do you think that, put yourself in your shoes, in, in their shoes, but in your life today, do you ever think to yourself, okay, I'm going to make plans. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then about this time, this will come in. It's going to work out good. But then all of a sudden, there gets a roadblock. Oh, I can't go that way anymore. What the heck? Maybe God has something planned for you. Maybe you're not ready for a battle that you don't see. Sometimes these roadblocks that come in our life can be a darn good thing. I'm glad he knows what's best. This is a little bit of a map of an area. There's a few different theories of the, of the Red Sea crossing, where it went, and, and exactly the route that the Egyptian or the uh, Israelites went. And uh, like I say, this is just, just a theory, but I kind of think this is the, the route. But the next scripture will be in a, down in 1321. Listen to this. It says, uh, the Lord went ahead of them, and he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And then he provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. I'm going to pause right there. I think we can look at this story here and say, wow. Yeah, I, I could be a, good, a really good follower of God and do everything just right if God just laid a big old pillar of fire out in front of me. When I'm at a fork in the road and I don't know which direction to go, I look around, ah, well, this is really obvious. I'll go this way. So what, were they cheating back then? Why don't I have that clear direction? Do you ever wonder that? I'm going to share with you two things that the Israelites didn't have, but we have access to. And the first one is the Bible. You know, that wasn't available then to them. They're, they're making history. They're, they're writing it right then. This is something that we have access to in today's modern world. Heck, we got it on our phones. We have how many Bibles in our homes. Uh, it's just readily accessible. And it's a it's life's instruction book. I know sometimes when I get instructions to, uh, to put together a, maybe a, some, some sort of a table or a trinket or something that we got the mail and it's some assembly required and you got that long list of instructions what I really like to do is just look at the picture and oh okay I know how this goes and I put it together to my best ability and then I think to myself well that's a lot of extra bolts left over maybe something isn't quite right have you done that before and then you got to oh god I gotta go back to the instruction manual and look at things uh, boy that can be us in life we can we can uh, we got this bible to look into and are we looking at it? Do we have things that don't go the way that we thought they would? Maybe we need to back up a little bit. Let's start getting into the word, see what he's saying to us. Because he's definitely speaking to us. But we have this very available to us. The next thing that we have available to us, that not everybody takes advantage of, is the Holy Spirit. This is uh, recorded from John, and this is uh, jo Jesus is speaking here, and he's told his apostles just before this, said, you know, I'm going to be going away for a while now. I'm going to be going away, 
I'm going to leave you here. And they're all like, don't leave, Jesus. We really need you here. He says, no, wait. He says, if you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. Wow. This is something that we need to be taking advantage of if you don't already have it. The Holy Spirit. We have this access. How do we get it? I'm glad you asked because people in the day of Pentecost asked this same question. When they were cut to the heart, when they, they knew they were sinners, we're all sinners, aren't we? And they asked Peter, what could we do? Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and I have highlighted this last part, or this main part I want you to see, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. The reason I highlight the all to who are far away is because, folks, that's you and I. That wasn't just a gift for the apostles. We have that access to the Holy Spirit. It's as powerful today in us as it was then. And these, we might not have a pillar of fire in front of us, but I guarantee you, if we are in the Bible, we've got the Holy Spirit, we can navigate life a heck of a lot better. All right. On with the uh, scripture here, I'll read a little bit more from the uh, from 14 than what I got up on the board. It said, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Phihareth between Migol and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Belzephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. Once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there and did as they were told. So a couple things I want you to see. So God had to tell them to turn back again. What are the people following Moses? What are they thinking? We're turning back again and we're camping in this certain area? But I think the most important part there is it says, after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So one point that I want to get, you, get through to you is God knows how to get our attention. And he's going to get the Egyptians' attention. Why is he even getting the, the Egyptians' attention? Why does God want to do anything with them guys? Because they're the ones treating the Israelites so darn bad. Why does God even care about them? This is a good lesson for us. Because this is the, the person who we really don't care much about in our life. Maybe they're a little bit mean. Maybe they're not the most nice person. But guess what? God wants all people to be saved. He cares about everybody. He's trying to knock on everybody's door. And maybe you might be the person to speak to that person to represent him. God knows how to get our attention. Whether it be ours or our neighbors or maybe the person sleeping in right now because he's got a terrible hangover. or Maybe he's got a terrible drug addiction somewhere out on the street. Guess what? God's trying to get their attention. 
that area I read that was uh, at the beginning of chapter 14, that certain area between them cities that I wasn't very good at pronouncing. This is what where scholars believe it is. It's called Nueva Beach. And this is a modern day picture right here. And, if, whoops, use my laser here. How do I get back here? Just a second. There we go. This, this little area right here, that, that's a valley. So the Israelites came from Egypt, and the scripture says that it followed the valley. And this is the valley where they came down through. And so basically, it's a mountain over here, a mountain over here, and then they come out on this huge beach, which is about three miles wide and about a mile thick there. So that's a huge area. And these are a lot of people. They estimate right around maybe two and a half million Israelites came to this area. So this is the place they were, were located at this point. And now we will pick up in the scripture in uh, verse 10 of Exodus chapter 14. It says, as Pharaoh approached the people, looked up, and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why, why have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt for us? So this is a, uh, as, as Pharaoh decided that we are going to uh, why did we let the Israelites go, go? Let's saddle up our horses and chariots and take off. They came down in that one area, and they're stuck on that whole beach there. It's like a rock between a rock and a hard place, as they say. And they got no place to go. And the Israelites are kind of freaking out here. Because they have the world's strongest army behind them. And don't forget that you know they're kind of freaking out and yet, remember, they've already been through ten plagues. They saw all the things that God has done in the past. And yet now, they see this coming up, and they're like, Moses, what do we do? They're, they're griping about Moses. I think that uh, this is a good lesson for us, because what should have they been doing? Moses, what was he doing? He was just praying a whole lot right there. But he wasn't complaining. I think sometimes we can get in a situation and we just kind of throw up our hands. Gee whiz, God, where are you? But we have to remember that he's there somewhere. He's going to be, he wants our trust. I like the scripture in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 where it says, don't be anxious about anything, but by what? By prayer and petition. And God will give you peace. It's kind of a rough paraphrase. They had, they, uh, not many of them had the trust that God wanted there. They were just kind of scared. And we'll travel on a little bit to verse 15. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea, divide the waters so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. I like this here. I think there's something that I just recently read as I was doing this study that, that I never didn't notice before, but it just kind of stuck out to me. But I think it's important for us to see. Moses, here he is, and he had to raise his hand over the sea. 
and the water didn't part until he actually went there and he did it. Because the scripture says he raised his hand and the seas parted. So what does that tell us? Who had the power there? Did Moses have all the power? No. Moses didn't have the power. We know it was God. But yet God still worked through Moses. Could God have done that without Moses? Absolutely. But this is what he did. He said, no, I want to work through you. You get up there and you raise your hand. I'm not going to do it until you do this. Now we turn around that on our own lives. We just kind of sit back and say, oh, God, just work a miracle in my life. He's saying, why don't you do this first? Act out on a little bit of faith. Because we all have opportunities. We talked about that this morning in class. We have opportunities to serve, just opportunities to do things for God. Just yesterday, I saw a nice email from a young lady, or a, I'm not even going to mention her name just to take away her reward. But there is an opportunity to, to, to serve in this church with, with doing card ministries. And, uh, and it was a small, small ministry, but still, it's something we can do. And, you know, we all just have many opportunities to do something for God. And I think this is a good lesson that. Uh, God's not going to give us step-by-step uh, you know, -step instructions how this is all going to be. Another point to this scripture here is at this point when God raised his hand up, did he realize, did Moses know what was going to happen? And the answer is no, he didn't. He got right to that water and the, Israel, the Egyptians were coming up on him. And then all of a sudden, that's when he raised his hands. So the lesson here for us is, you know, God's not going to give us a step-by-step -step illustration how our next move is going to be. Uh, 21 and 22, it says, uh, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up the path through the water with a strong east wind, and the wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. What that must have been like for those people in that moment as they are going through. What a faith builder for them, Right? I think we all have been through areas in our life where you just, in a moment, you think, wow, God, God's pretty amazing what he's pulling me through here. We need to keep these things in mind because we're still talking about this great event today. It's pretty interesting when the, when the Israelites got to the other side, they, they had a huge party. They were just so excited about it. They were praising God. But did it take them very long before they started to grumble again? Unfortunately, it didn't. And that's a good lesson for us as well. We uh, need to remember and know that God still has a plan. I'll close with this last text here. It says, Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But before dawn, the Lord looked down on them, looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw their forces into a total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, they said. 
these, uh, uh, let's get away from these Israelites. The Egyptians shouted, the Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. And I think we can almost laugh at that scripture. Are they just now figuring that out? My goodness, they went through 10 plagues back home and, and they seen what God has done for them. And that's being pretty bold to say, okay, let's chase them through these walls of water. Surely we'll be all right with that big old pillar of fire in front of them. But yet they went right through them, and then God collapsed the water. And the scripture tells us later that they all perished, and the, many of them washed up on the sea, and the Israelites got to see the, the dead bodies on the sea there. But how many times in our life have we seen God act and, and we know the direction that we're supposed to go, but yet we still do it. Like, oh, look, I, I don't think this is God's will here. That's exactly what they were doing. Their hearts were hard. Sometimes we get our own chariot wheels a little bit twisted, and we have to kind of wonder, hmm, maybe God's trying to teach me a lesson here. So uh, three different points that I think, uh, just to kind of summarize this lesson, is uh, God always knows which way is best for us. Just like sometimes when he puts the roadblocks in front of uh, the, the Israelites going into the promised land. For some reason, they weren't ready for it. And we look at all the obstacles we have in front of our life. Whether we didn't get that job that we thought we was going to get, or we didn't marry that person we thought we was going to marry, or whatever the case may be. God knows what he's doing. And sometimes he puts up roadblocks. We need to be aware of that. God knows how to get our attention. That's sometimes not a very fun thing when God tries to get our attention. Sometimes uh, uh, when he gets our attention, it's a little bit painful. I think it's in Psalm, I think it's 119.77. Just going by memory. I didn't, didn't think about this scripture until now. But it's always impressed me. It, the psalmist says, it was good that you caused me pain so that I might focus on your decrees, focus on your word. So what's this mean? Sometimes God kind of pokes us on the side a little bit to get our attention. Or he might twist your chariot wheel. And the last thing is God expects us to act out on faith. He expects us to do something with it. It's more than just being a pew warmer. We're going to get up from here, we're going to go out into the world and we're going to be, represent him. So what do we do with our faith? Maybe it's, maybe in your faith, maybe you need to get an upgrade on your navigation system and get a, put on the Holy Spirit. We can do that today, right there, back there in the, in the baptistry. The water is always full. So this concludes my lesson today. Thank you for your attention and time. If there's anything, any needs we might have, be glad to meet anybody in the back, and we'll, we'll uh, address it from there. We'll have a closing song. Thank you.